0: And welcome into the Most Accurate Podcast. It's uh, the week one recap version, and what a week one it was in the NFL. Not necessarily great games, but there's plenty of storylines. Before we get into those storylines and update you on some of the injury news, uh, I welcome in John Paulson, 444.com senior editor, my co-host here on the Most Accurate Podcast. By the way, I'm Anthony Stalter. John, how are we doing today?
1: We're doing pretty good. The Falcons won, so you're happy. The Packers won, so I'm happy. Uh, Not
0: bad. Not bad at all. So before before the podcast, you you warned me that you you were a little ticked off with Mike McCarthy, and regular regular listeners know you you're not a huge fan of Mike McCarthy as it is. So, what pray tell are you you complaining about with McCarthy today? Well, Mike McCarthy takes really stupid
1: timeouts at the end of the second quarter before halftime, trying to get the ball back, and sometimes it makes some sense if the defense is playing really well, the offense is. Um, that they're facing is, is really poor if the team's really stuck back in their own end but in this situation there was 53 seconds left Seattle it's zero zero the Packers I believe were going to get the ball first coming out of you know out of, of halftime um, the defense had played really well to that point so I, I could see why he was sort of irrationally confident uh, in this terrible what was a terrible pass defense last year you know expecting them to, to hold. Seattle to a three and out, but 53 seconds. Seattle runs the ball, just trying to get out of the half. 48 seconds left. McCarthy calls his second timeout because he called the first timeout on a weird play in the first quarter. Uh, then on second, so then there's 48 seconds left. Now, best case scenario, Seattle, I guess, runs a play. You call another timeout and then Seattle decides to pass, even though there's only 43 seconds left after their second play after an eight yard gain. So there's 43 seconds left. McCarthy calls a second timeout. So if Seattle wants to run the clock out, they can still run the clock out right now. Because you run a play, it takes about five seconds, and uh, the play clock's 40 seconds, and the half's over. But instead, McCarthy calls timeout number three. So now they have a third and three from their own 18, just giving them the opportunity to get the first down, right? They get the first down with on a run from a CJ Prosize. So now they have the ball, you know, on the 23. Seattle calls a timeout. They suddenly have life. <laughs> so then they throw the ball, uh, hit Baldwin for a 34 yard pass. and Wilson goes, drops back again and then scrambles for 29 yards. And now with like 20 seconds left, they have the ball in pack territory. You give them three points. And now they're throwing the ball into the end zone. They could get a touchdown out of this. And there was no upside. Like if Seattle wants to get out of the, the half, they can. But now by doing I'm this. Doing it. You give them a third and three and they get the first down. Now they're like, Oh, okay. Well, we'll throw the ball downfield on this team that was terrible against the pass last year. And you're putting your defense in a terrible position. Luckily, the three points that they got was, uh, non-consequential or inconsequential, uh, at the end of the game. But this really could have, if they had lost by three or, you know, it was a tighter game, this really could have been a one that came back to, to bite them.
0: Sure. Fortunately, your Green Bay pass defense looked amazing. I don't know if it was because his it's Dom Capers group has dramatically improved, or Seattle's offensive line is that is that bad, or a combination of two. But as you mentioned at the start of the podcast, it's uh, it's nice for the four for four dot com's most accurate podcast favorite teams to be two and zero or one and zero. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So
1: that's nice. I just want to also mention the music today because we didn't, uh, I didn't know yes. if we were going to talk about that after this. But this is shouting matches. It's actually a, a band uh, that's like a side project for uh, Bon Iver, uh, frontman Justin Vernon. Uh, he does this band on the side. It's kind of a, a blues rock that we, uh, have talked about before. They, they had another song on the podcast. Um, but this one is called I Had a Real Good Lover. It's off the 2013 EP Mouth Oil. Um, so check it out. We put it on the, the Most Accurate Podcast playlist, and uh, if you can find that on Spotify, great. If not, you can go, always go to the 444.com website, look for a podcast playlist or a podcast uh, post, and there should be a link to the playlist in within the post, so check it out.
0: All right, There's, here's what we have on the podcast for you today. We're going to run through some of the pri- the primary injury concerns coming out of week one, and there was one significant one and one potentially significant one. We're also going to do some breakout performers because there's a lot of guys, John. Where I'm sure owners are thinking to themselves, okay, if I'm in a league where you have to post a bid on somebody that's on the waiver wire, how much should I bid, uh, including a breakout performer in yesterday's <clears throat> in in one of yesterday's games where I, I don't I, I don't think anybody saw this coming. Then we're gonna run through some of the RBBC issues and see if John can kind of make heads or tails out of some of the the more pressing backfields. We also have John, John's going to apologize for two players uh, a little bit later on in the podcast who he recommended, and then we got some Monday Night Football predictions, including one underdog that I think could win outright tonight, but let's dive right into those week one fantasy storylines, start out with the injury news, starting off with Allen Robinson, tough news out of Jacksonville, as Robinson's going to be out for the entire season with a torn left ACL, he will, he will be placed on injured reserve today. And the Jaguars are gonna to have to move forward with Marquise Lee, Alan Hearns, Keelan Cole, and then Aurelius Ben as their top four receivers. Who's the Jaguar receiver to own out of the out of this mix? Well, I think Marquise Lee is is the best. I don't I
1: don't think he registered a catch yesterday, uh, if I'm not mistaken. I was looking through the box scores and um, he wasn't even, I don't think he was even present. Uh, Alan Hearns is the other guy. Those two will probably start. They, they're going to get DD Westbrook at, at some point back, they think. Uh, but he, he went on to IR, I believe, as well. He was sort of an upside uh, receiver there uh, in the preseason. Uh, but this is now going to be a run heavy offense. If the defense is as good as they played yesterday, which is probably not entirely likely because they were facing uh, Tom Savage. For- <laughs> Uh who I had a friend over to watch the games and he had the he, he was talking about Tom Savage's drop back. He's like, that was the most calm <laughs> uh drop back with no sense of urgency. He like a three-step <laughs> drop back. he just walked backwards. Uh but anyway, he, he was a he was a this kind of a statue in the um in the pocket and uh the Jags had what, ten sacks yesterday between him and uh Watson. So uh really good outing for the Jags defense. If they're that good. Uh, they're going to go really run heavy with Fournette and, uh, just kind of play, a keep away in ball control, uh, with Bortles, uh, at quarterback. And, um, I think you are going to have to pass in some games and there might be some, you know, where they're big, where they're big underdogs, you, you might want to, uh, start Lee or, or, uh, Hearns in a, in a pinch, uh, depending on your situation at wide receiver. But, uh, this isn't really a, a, a situation I'm going out trying to capitalize on. I, I do have Lee in a few leagues and Hearns is decent, but this is, uh, This is not, like, too appetizing for anybody on the waiver wire.
0: The other big injury concern is in Arizona where David Johnson suffered a wrist injury in that loss to the Lions yesterday, and there's conflicting reports here. ESPN came out and stated that Johnson's going to miss a couple of weeks at minimum and up to half the season uh, with that injury. But then Profootballtalk.com reported that it has yet to be determined that David Johnson will miss any time. If Johnson does miss time, should owners target Kerwin Williams or Andre Ellington? Well, Kerwin's the
1: is the direct backup uh, to in terms of carries uh, to David Johnson. Uh, He he had some good stretches uh, previous years as the quote unquote starter when people were injured ahead of him. Uh, He carried the ball five times for ten yards uh, yesterday and got a touchdown uh, after Johnson uh, was out of the missed missed a few snaps there. in the, in the first half, I think. Um, but Ellington is a better receiver. He had two catches for 35 yards. Kerwin Williams only had the one catch on one target for two yards yesterday. Uh, so this might be more of a committee thing where they use, uh, they use Ellington as the replacement for Johnson in the passing game. And they use uh Kerwin Williams as the replacement for Johnson in the running game, which gives neither guy a ton of value. Although you could argue Ellington is, you know, PPR leagues is, is doable because Johnson had six catches for 68 yards, one of the most targeted, uh, running backs in the, in the league. Um, Kerwin Williams, you could argue, uh, in a good matchup, uh, could, could do some damage with 10 or 15 carries in the running game. So, uh, nobody to run out and just spend all your money on, especially with the, with Johnson's injury uncertainty. Um, nobody really knows anything. Obviously there's, Two two people, PFT, uh, Pro Football Talk, McFlorio, and I think Ian Rappaport both came out and said that he might even play next week. And then there are people that say he might miss half the season or more. Uh, so no one knows anything until we get uh, a further confirmation from the MRI.
0: And then one other injury news that I wanted to go over was Danny Woodhead, who left Sunday's game against the Bengals with a left hamstring injury. He had caught all three of his targets for 33 yards. He'd handled one one carry for four yards before exiting. Then you have Terrence West, who totaled 80 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries. And then Buck Allen broke off 71 yards on 21 carries. Do you like West moving forward, especially if Danny Woodhead's going to miss some time with that soft, soft uh, leg injury?
1: Yeah, I mean, when when Woodhead went out, I immediately thought, okay, West is going to be a, a eighteen to twenty two touch uh, player, and he did get uh, nineteen carries yesterday. But then I saw Buck Allen had uh, twenty one carries for seventy one yards, uh, three point four yards per uh, carry. Uh, he didn't catch a pass. He was targeted once, which kind of kind of surprising because he's pretty good in the passing game as well. So I think if you're in, in trouble at running back. You could pick up Allen. I don't know if Wes is out there in the waiver wire or not. He was, he's gone in all my leagues, but he'd be a good pickup too. I think he's going to start and get most of the touches, but uh, Allen certainly based on what happened yesterday is going to see uh, quite a bit of work. I think you're just basically plugging uh, Allen in for, for Woodhead and, and, you know, maybe you're giving Allen more carries and, and fewer catches based on what happened yesterday.
0: Moving away from injury news, let's talk a bit about some breakout performers starting with Bears running back. Tariq, Tariq Cole, Cohen, who was just unbelievable. He stole the show in Chicago yesterday. He rushed five times for 66 yards and caught eight of 12 targets for 47 yards and a touchdown and a loss to my Falcons, who honestly should have lost. Uh, and and one of the reasons why they should have lost was, one, they had no answer for Tariq, who was uh, just a, a human joystick. And then the other reason was Jordan Howard, he rushed 13 times for 52 yards and a touchdown. He caught three of his five targets for 14 yards. But the one, one of the ones that he dropped was right at the goal line at the end of the game that likely would have been the game winning touchdown with just under a minute left to play. Is it safe to say that Cohen is this week's hottest pick? And then what are your expectations moving forward with him? How, how much are you willing to bid if he's on your, on your waiver wire?
1: Well I I definitely think he in PPR formats he has a ton of value now because uh, Benny Cunningham left the game with a ankle injury and I think Cohen was already in before Cunningham played or touched he he didn't touch the ball Cunningham didn't so it looks like they're going to use Cohen as that primary passing down back and uh, they lost uh, Kevin White uh, to a collarbone uh, injury so you know Cohen had 12 targets, uh, eight catches for 47 yards and a touchdown. Like the next highest number of targets went to the tight end. Uh, Zach Miller, Kendall Wright had four, uh, Jordan Howard had five. So, you know, that's 17 targets between Cohen and Howard for the, for the running backs. That's 17 out of 40 for, for Mike Glenn. That's a really high rate. And the Bears are going to be trailing. So, uh, a lot of these dump offs, a lot of this hurry up stuff. And this is where Cohen can make his, uh, uh, make some bones in PPR formats. He could be the next Darren Sproles when it comes to being a PPR, uh, pa- you know, passing down back, uh, getting, you know, eight to 10 targets a game, uh, potentially uh, based on the, the game script going on with the, with the bears.
0: The other guy that I think a lot of people are going to be looking for in the waiver wire this week is Kenny Galladay. He had two touchdowns. He was targeted, I think, uh, seven times and he caught four passes for 69 yards. He was really quiet until late in the second half, but he's another guy, John, where you can kind of talk about what, what you would bid for him if, if that's your struct, your waiver structure.
1: Yeah. And I didn't mention a bid for, for Cohen. I, I would probably be looking at. Uh, Twenty to thirty percent in PPR formats. It just depends on you know what's out there, how how thin your waiver wire is, how aggressive the other owners are in your your league. If you want a guy, just go get him. Uh, if you think he's going to be the next uh, big thing, Um so for for Gal- uh, Galladay or is it Galladay
0: or <laughs> I believe it's Galladay.
1: Galladay, okay. Uh He played. uh We were told you know beforehand before the game that he and T.J. Jones were going to split the wide receiver three snaps, and it ended up being. Uh, Galladay at 62%, TJ Jones at 27%. Um, so it really wasn't much of a split. I think you're seeing going to see him out in the field 60, 70% or more uh, moving forward, given the, the way he played. Uh, he was the second most targeted uh, receiver after Golden Tate. Uh, Theo Riddick also had seven targets. Marvin Jones only had two targets, which is kind of lost in the fact that he had a touchdown and 37 yards receiving. I get a decent fantasy day, but only two targets. Um so that's worrisome for Jones owners and good news for Gall- Galladay owners because uh you know he looks very involved in the offense and they're gonna look at look for him deep as well. And then the other downside here is Eric Ebron, you know, three targets, two catches for nine yards. It Looks like he's uh having his lunch money stolen by uh Galladay and uh that's not that's not good uh for him. Uh but two hundred and ninety-two yards for Stafford, four touchdowns. This is a you know, a good passing day for them and this is how things shook, you know, shook out with uh, Tate getting ten catches for 107 yards and Gallaudet getting four for 69. I don't know that we're going to always see that breakdown. I mean, Jones might have some big days as well, but uh, uh, Gallaudet certainly looks like he's fa- fantasy relevant and is probably worth a 10 to 15 percent bid on the waiver wire.
0: Well, how about this? The Rams traded for Sammy Watkins a couple of weeks before the season, but it was rookie Cooper Cup that stole the show against the Colts on Sunday. He was targeted six times, caught four passes for 76 yards and a touchdown in week one. And uh, should receiver needy owners in PPR leagues start to target Cooper Cup?
1: Yeah, and you could par- you could target him in standard as well. I mean, 76 in touchdowns, not bad. Uh, six targets is not uh, – six out of 29 attempts or 30 attempts, that's not bad at all. Uh, Sammy Watkins – had five for 58 off of five targets. So he caught every target that was thrown to him. And then Robert Woods was three for 53 on five targets as well. So, you know, Goff spread the ball around. He hit his uh, tight end a couple times, uh, four times, actually. Tavon Austin just had the one catch for seven yards. So he looks to be a non-factor. He had a couple carries with 11 yards. Um, So, yeah, it looks like Cup, especially in PPR, would be a, a good pickup. Uh, Goff does not look like he is – going to be as bad as last year which is a great sign this is just week one though against the Colts defense which is really bad also Colts offense couldn't keep the ball uh, for very long giving the Rams lots of opportunities to score and and Goff you know capitalized on a good preseason uh, built on that uh, as did Cup who also played well in the preseason
0: yeah the Colts are the Colts and the Jets are going to be fighting for that number one pick all season long uh, especially if Andrew Luck is nowhere near ready to return. And some of the reports out of Indianapolis have been kind of cryptic on that. Let's move on to some, some other ones. We can kind of run through these a little bit, some breakout performances. Uh, so fantasy owners like myself that basically punted the tight end position in one league. I didn't do it on accident. I was aware of what was going on. I just, I wasn't in love with the tight ends that were still on the board when uh, I was drafting. I waited in one league until the very last pick and i nabbed austin hooper and it looked like uh i was gonna you know have egg on my face for for most of the day because he didn't even have a catch at halftime but then hooper responded with a 20 plus point fantasy effort he caught two passes and he turned those two passes into 128 yards and a touchdown do you think that his performance was a fluke or should tight end desperate owners take a look at him
1: well, certainly, if he's still on the waiver wire, he's, uh, definitely worth a look. Um, you, know, you should go out and get him, actually. He's, I mean, he was one of the upside tight ends there in the later rounds. Uh, the worrisome thing here is that he only had two targets the entire game and he caught both of them for 128 yards, uh, 64 yards per catch. I don't think he's going to be able to maintain that yards per catch, but, uh, he should be a, you know, big part of this offense. I mean, Manus, uh, Mohamed Sanu, Had nine targets, Julio Jones, five targets, Tevin Coleman, six, Gabriel, four, Devonta Freeman, uh, two. So there's, you know, 30 pass attempts for Matt Ryan, which is low on the low side for him. There's definitely room in this offense for him. I don't know that he is a featured player, uh, but after uh, yesterday's game, you think that they would try to get him the ball more in, in a position where he can run.
0: Nelson Aguilar is another interesting player. He was receiving some faint praise this offseason. They talked about him being the slot receiver for the Eagles. He had a nice week one performance. He caught six of eight targets for 86 yards and a touchdown in that victory over the Redskins. Uh, His eight targets actually tied for the team lead for the Eagles yesterday. Is he worth a look as a wide receiver three moving forward?
1: Yeah, I mean, it looks like he actually took over the Jordan Matthews role in terms of Targets. I mean, we thought some of that would go to Zach Ertz and Zach Ertz had a good game at, with eight targets and, uh, eight catches for 93 yards. Uh, but Aguilar didn't, uh, really uh, relinquish any of those targets. Uh, six for 86 and a touchdown. Uh, Darren Sproles had eight targets, five for 43. Uh, Jeffrey had seven targets, three for 38. So it's a little bit worrisome there that he's, uh, fourth uh, in targets on the team. But the big losers, Tory Smith, I mean, one catch for 30 yards, three targets. Uh, he failed to jump on a fumble, which looked like he, had never played football before uh there was a fumble (laughs) by it was a path a backwards pass and he had a chance to secure the ball and he just stood there and watched it as the uh, redskins jumped on it but you know he doesn't look like he's going to to be a big part uh, of the offense i mean he'll be a deep threat but uh it's it's looking like they're trying to get the ball to aguilar now uh as opposed to smith and uh that bodes well for him I, i don't think you're gonna see this sort of output from aguilar on a regular basis but um in ppr especially with the with the slot uh role and uh pretty heavy workload he should he should be he should be decent I mean I would think that Ertz would start to get some touchdowns Jeffrey would start to get some touchdowns uh as opposed to Aguilar
0: and then the other name I wanted to mention and this one cuts a little deep for you John I know because this was one of the guys that I stole from you during our uh draft a couple uh, what last week but Titans rookie receiver Corey Davis, he was started 10 times. He caught six passes for 69 yards against the Raiders. A lot of owners left him on the bench because he kind of had an injury plague preseason. But does he have some uh, appeal as a consistent wide receiver three?
1: Yeah, I mean, he played more than we thought. Uh, he played 66% of the snaps. It made, they made it sound like he was going to be used in certain situations, but he came in and was very productive. Basically, as a wide receiver three. That's what... Uh, that's sort of the snap percentage of typical wide receiver threes. They play 60 to 75% of the snaps, depending on the, the team's offense. Um, you're going to see that go up, I think, once he gets fully healthy. He probably takes over for Eric Decker. Eric Decker played 94% of the snaps uh, – Richard Matthews played 81% of the snaps. So I wouldn't be surprised if these three get to where they're all playing between 70 75% of the snaps. If they just start to, to rotate their receivers, but they might get into a, a situation where they have Davis and then Matthews and then they just use Decker in the slot. And then you start to see his snap percentage drop significantly. But Matthews was pretty productive. Uh, Ta- uh Taylor saw 9% of the snaps. Uh, Decker, uh, just had, uh, three catches, I think, uh, wasn't, he was targeted fairly heavily but uh, just wasn't very productive in those targets so uh this is going to be a tricky one all year to 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 sort of figure out uh who to start and these guys are all going to be ranked in that 30 probably the 30 to to 50 range uh on a weekly basis because i think this pass offense is going to be pretty good with marcus Mariota pulling the trigger um but and these guys are all good uh but you just don't know week to week basis uh, who's going to be playing uh starter snaps
0: one thing I like to do on Mondays is have you kind of go through some of the running back by committees situations, see if you can make heads or tails of uh, those particular instances, and um, maybe give some clarity to fantasy owners. So let's let's talk about some of these running backs, running back by committee, by going team by team, by team and try to figure out these the situations. We'll start off with Seattle. Eddie Lacy rushed five times for three yards, and the Seahawks lost to your Packers. Seventh rounder Chris Carson, meanwhile, he generated 39 yards on six touches. He was the most productive back behind one of the worst offensive lines in football. And then CJ Proseis had four carries for 11 yards, and he was held out of the passing game. They didn't even target him. So is Carson worth a look here? Uh, He's worth a look in
1: deeper leagues. Uh, I wouldn't get too excited because you still have Thomas Rawls coming off an ankle injury, but they do like Carson. They've been talking about him quite a bit, and he might be fairly cheap still on the waiver wire because he didn't. I mean, he did. He was productive yesterday in the touches he had, but he didn't score a touchdown. He didn't have a huge game or anything like that, like Kareem Hunt or something. So Lacey didn't look particularly good. I thought he might have a big game against uh, his old team. Uh, but they, they rushed him a few times early and didn't get anything. And so they kind of abandoned him. And it seemed like Carson had more, uh, change of direction ability, which is necessary behind the line where, where guys are in the, back, you know, defensive players are in the backfield pretty regularly. So, uh, Carson looked good. He made some cuts, got a, you know, got out of trouble, created some, uh, yardage out of nothing. Uh, there was one play where, uh, he headed left and it was going to be knocked down for a seven yard loss, but he turned it back and got a two or three yard gain out of it. So, uh, with that offensive line, he might be the best fit uh, in this backfield, and that's worth a look.
0: Cincinnati, Gio Bernard finished with 40 yards on seven carries and also called one pass on two targets for an additional 39 yards. Jeremy Hill was ineffective, as usual. He, he rushed six times. He only had 26 yards. And then rookie Joe Mixon was the huge disappointment here, especially for owners that rolled the dice, even given his situation in Cincinnati. He led the team in carries. That's the good part but he turned 8 carries into 9 yards. He caught all 3 of his passes. They only went for 15 yards though. Despite the ugly performance, do you still prefer Mixon moving forward? Well, Mixon had uh, an 8-yard run too, so
1: he had these uh, other seven carries he had yard. Uh not good. Um but <laughs> the the whole Cincinnati offense was a disaster. Um so you know, you could write this off, but you know Bernard's going to be involved. Clearly, Hill getting the start, um, or theoretically getting the start. He had he was decent, four point three yards per attempt. Bernard five point seven yards per attempt. There's no reason coming out of this for Cincinnati to get Mixon more touches right now, given the way the, these three produced. Um, this is going to be a headache all year, it appears, and that's why Mixon was going after all these other rookie running backs. Uh, in the third or fourth round, he was starting to go in the fifth round uh, uh, by the end of draft season because of this confusion here about who's gonna who's gonna play the most. So uh, nothing coming out of this makes me want to you know run out and go get Joe mixon. Would I cut him? No, I probably wouldn't start him though uh, until we start to see uh, the touches increase.
0: You mentioned to me before the podcast that this situation didn't didn't really surprise you, kinda of played out how you thought. But let's talk about Detroit. Amir Abdullah saw the most carries in the lines, went over the Cardinals. He rushed fifteen times for thirty yards. Dwayne Washington also finished with six carries for twenty-two yards. And then Theo Riddick only had one carry, but he was targeted seven times in the passing game. He caught six passes for twenty-seven yards and had a touchdown as well. Abdullah also added three catches on four targets for eleven yards. Uh, Abdul, I guess, like I said, John, this none of, did anything surprise you about this situation?
1: This kind of played out the way I thought. I mean, I thought you'd have uh, Abdullah getting a bit more work than he did, uh, with Zach Center sidelined. I thought, uh, Washington with the six, uh, carries was a little bit more than I thought. But Abdullah wasn't tearing it up, up either. I mean, if he had averaged uh, four or five yards per carry, he probably would have seen 17 to 18, t- uh, carries. Uh, but, you know, 18 touches, you can't complain about that. And it's just a good defense with with Cardinals. I mean, we're staying staying the course with Abdullah. And I think Riddick uh is very startable in PPR. I mean, you know, he had one carry for a negative one yard, but got you the six catches for 27 yards and a touchdown in the passing game. They always look for him. Not always, but they look for him in the red zone pretty heavily. They sneak him out of the backfield and throw the ball to him. And, um you know, he's not going to have a, a good game every single week. But, uh, you know, for the cost of an eighth-round pick or whatever he was, Uh, You know, there's a good chance he finishes in the top 20 in in PPR formats.
0: In Indianapolis, this thing is a mess all the way all the way around. Frank Gore rushed just 10 times. He had 42 yards against the Rams. Excuse me. Although the the Colts were trailing by double digits. From the first quarter all the way through the end of the game. Rookie Marlon Mack also rushed 24 times since end carries and reached the end zone, while Robert Turbin rushed twice for seven yards. Given how bad the Colts offensive line is and the fact that they're going to be trailing a lot this season, I wouldn't imagine that any of these running backs have much fantasy appeal, right?
1: Yeah, I don't really feel comfortable starting Gore, uh, even, you know, in a good matchup, given the uh, Scott Tolzien at quarterback and just the ineptitude of the offense. Uh, and we don't know for sure when Andrew Luck will be back. Once Andrew Luck gets back, everything changes. Uh, the offensive line is not going to magically get better, but the passing game will. Uh, and then you can start to, to look at these guys. I think Mac is, has the most upside. Uh, he might be a stash. Uh, and maybe, and you know, maybe there's a gore injury or something midseason. And all of a sudden you have, uh, the, st- you know, the starting running back for the Colts with Andrew Luck under center. Uh, I think gore, is a good value once Andrew Luck comes back and is startable in that situation. But until then, I, I would have to bench these guys.
0: And then in Washington, you got Rob Kelly. He only finished with 30 yards on 10 carries and the Redskins lost to the Eagles. Chris Thompson had three carries for four yards, but he also caught four or five targets for 50, 52 yards. And he, and he scored a touchdown. Um, the, the big, the big question mark for me was that rookie Samajé Piran didn't even didn't even have a touch. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure he was active, but he finished completely off the stat sheet. Were you surprised by that too?
1: Yeah, I mean, I had people telling me on Twitter that uh, P Ryan was going to win the job by week one, so and they were very adamant about how stupid I was to to project uh, <laughs> Kelly ahead of, of P Ryan in this in this backfield, even though that's what the coaches said was going to happen. Um, but I, I, I'm not real high on Kelly either. I think he's if you're looking at a good match, a like good matchups with bad rushing defenses and there's a few on his schedule. You know, you could get the 12 to 15 carries for 60 yards and maybe a touchdown, but he doesn't really involve himself in the passing game. Or he's not involved in the passing game. That's all Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson's far more uh, appealing as a spot start in PPR uh due to his uh, ability to catch five to seven passes if the um uh, if the Redskins start to trail all of a sudden he's in, you know, playing more. I mean, they he played 48% of the snaps yesterday with Kelly playing 52% of the snaps. So uh, very even uh, playing time in a game that uh, Washington trailed most of the way.
0: And then in New York, you got two situations. We'll go. We'll go with the Jets first, and we'll get to the Giants. Matt Forte finished with 16 yards on six carries. Uh, also caught three of five targets for 20 yards. You got Bilal Powell, who finished with seven carries for 22 yards and caught five of six targets for 17 yards. Again, just a mess offensively for the Jets. Uh, thoughts on this situation?
1: Well, when initially, when I saw Forte was getting work early, I felt, I feel like they're trying to feature him to try to trade him. Uh, that was my initial reaction, but you know, I don't know what's going on with the Jets. This is the one concern I had with Powell. I think he's a talented guy. I think that if you gave him 15 to 20 uh, catches, uh, touches, even in this offense, he would be a good fantasy play for you. I mean, he did five, have five catches. Um, he had 12, 12, uh, touches overall. Uh, but only 39 yards. It's just not much of a passing game to you know sort of open up lanes in the running game uh, either. So and on top of that, he's splitting with Matt Forte. Uh, it's just it's just uh, devolving into a pretty ugly uh, committee until something happens here.
0: And then with the Gi- <clears throat> with the Giants, excuse me, Paul Perkins finished with 16 yards on seven carries. Shane Vereen caught nine of 10 targets for 52 yards. Although nearly all of that production came on the team's final drive when. The Giants are just kind of dinking and dunking just to pick up, you know, another scoring opportunity. And then Orleans Darkwa had three carries for 14 yards. Is this a situation to avoid, especially given the Giants' offensive line woes? Yeah, I
1: I ranked Paul Perkins a lot lower than other rankers. I'm not saying that because wow, look at me, how smart I am. I was worried <laughs> that he might have a breakout year, uh, you know, if they decided that they were going to feed him the ball. But there was talk in the preseason about. Uh, darkwa splitting first team reps with Perkins. So he's already, you know, he might be splitting time with Orleans darkwa Uh, I think Perkins big run last, late last year. I think Darkwa was out. Um, and Vereen, I think was out as well. Uh, but the only person that I would start in, in a spot situation really would be Vereen in a game where the Giants are expected to trail because he's going to get those he's going to get that hurry up those those PPR points with the, with all these dump offs. I mean, I don't, don't know why Eli Manning was not going downfield when you need two scores um, to tie the game, Uh, why he's just taking five yard uh, gains with Vereen, but that's what he was doing. Uh, That's why Vereen ended up having a pretty good PPR day, but this whole, this, this is a bad rushing offense with two guys splitting the carries and a a third guy as the PPR back. So, you know the only guy that's doable really to me is is Vereen, um, and the other two should be uh, avoided until one of them gets injured or really emerges as the starter.
0: Let's do one more. Philadelphia. Darren Sproles had just two carries for eight yards, but he also caught five passes for forty-three yards and led all Eagles backs in snaps. Then you had Laguerre Blunt rushed fourteen times for forty-six yards, and then he caught his lone target for a one-yard touchdown. Blunt also started the game. Doesn't look like the Eagles are going to have much of a running, running game all season long.
1: No, I think Sproles is your best bet here. I, I nearly did a, sp- a spit take when I saw LeGarrette Blunt catch a touchdown pass. Uh, <laughs> but that was really very good play design and he, they're lucky he caught it, but he did catch it and, uh, was able to make a guy miss it and run into the end zone. think that was very, that was deceptive. You're not expecting looked, Blunt to get the.
0: Sorry to cut you off. John. It look, it looked like he was going to just waltz in and then he, he actually stopped and then cut back. Just to almost make contact with the defender. It was, it was a very Le, LeGarrette Blunt type touchdown.
1: Yeah, the guy uh, was coming past him. I think he was trying to, he cut back to, to avoid the linebacker who was coming over. But it was a pretty funny play uh, given LeGarrette Blunt's history in the passing game, which is not extensive. Uh, but Sproles, I think, is the play here, and, and especially in PPR formats, I think, you know, he, he had a little tweaked ankle in, in the, uh, warm-up. Uh, I was watching that as I was, uh, doing, finalizing rankings. Uh, and I moved him down two spots and I moved him back up because it looked like he was okay, uh, on the next, on uh, the next warm-up play. So, uh, just felt like it was a little tweak. So he played 49% of the snaps, blunt 34, small with 22%. Um, but you know, you're gonna, you're gonna get four or five catches for, Thirty to fifty yards out of Sproles, he's going to score the occasional touchdown, and that's what you need out of a you know zero RB strategy. Where in PPR formats, where you're just looking for guys like Chris Thompson, uh, Darren Sproles. Now you could pick up a Cohen uh, just to sort of do running back two by committee, and, and just kind of play maybe play the player that has the the, the least favorable game sc- script in terms of their team being ahead, because those are the, those are the times when these guys get a ton of catches.
0: At the start of the podcast, I teased that you wanted to apologize to. Uh, fantasy owners, listeners, anybody following you on Twitter, anybody following your rankings. Why do you want to apologize to, to listeners today, John?
1: Yeah, now you're kind of making this out to be a bigger deal than maybe I want it to be, <laughs> but uh, Andy Dalton, uh, you know, I, he was one of my quarterbacks that I was telling people to target uh, along with Matthew Stafford, who's got the number, you know, the most fancy points uh, this week, Marcus Mariota, who's number two so far uh, after, well, after Alex Smith, of course, two and three. Um, So Dalton was terrible. Every time I looked up uh, Red Zone channel, he was turning the ball over. Lots of tip passes, terribleness. They have a ton of weapons in that offense. I think he, we'll end up bouncing back, but I wouldn't want to start him against uh, Houston uh, at home week two. A pretty good defense. Uh That's a little bit scary. So uh you might want to look at uh, Jared Goff at, uh, against Washington. I think that's not a bad matchup. Uh, the other player that didn't do as well, he, he ended up uh, scoring a a garbage time touchdown was Carson Palmer. Uh, but he was pretty bad against Detroit. Uh, I guess Detroit's pass defense is a little better than advertised, but Palmer, I would, I would start him next week against Indianapolis. Uh, there he's on the road in Indianapolis Then he has Dallas and San Francisco at home. So I think he'll sort of sort things out. Uh, that offensive line was a little shaky and, you know, he was kind of panicking, I think, and and forcing some passes, but uh, they should, they should figure that out with Palmer. Um, so yeah, that's the apology. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser is also in week three. If you want, if are still wanting to stream, he's, he has Indianapolis, uh, Indianapolis in week three. And he had a, he had a good game yesterday with a rushing touchdown, a passing touchdown and uh, showed some ability against the, the Steelers.
0: All right. Finally, let's talk, uh, let's talk about the Monday night football matchups tonight. Game one, we have the Saints visiting the Vikings. And then in game two, we have the Broncos hosting the Chargers. Anything you're keying on in tonight's game from a fantasy standpoint?
1: Well, uh, you know, the old team theorem failed me with uh with Eddie Lacey and I'm I'm curious to see if the if the Saints are more uh devoted to Adrian Peterson and it just seems really likely that he scores a touchdown against his old team. Um and then how and how that impacts uh Mark Ingram in a normal game I'd have a normal week I'd have Ingram, you know, ranked significantly higher than than Peterson, but this is a game where I have him ranked fairly close and in, in standard because I think uh, they are going to try to get Peterson a touchdown against his old team. Um, you know, I'm interested to see Sam Bradford against this, this, uh, Saints passing defense. Um, I'm interested to see Mike Thomas in a tough matchup. Uh, you know, Ted Ginn, is he going to, uh, make all my dreams come true and, and, and score a lot of fantasy points? I got him in all my daily, uh, uh, this week. Brandon Coleman is the third receiver there for the, the Saints. as he step up and, uh, have a good fantasy game? And then in the, uh, Broncos Chargers game, you know it's it's a tough matchup for Philip Rivers. I don't, I'm not expecting big things from him, uh, but the Chargers also have a really good defense, so this might be a defensive struggle. Uh, they have two good really quarter, good quarterbacks, uh, uh, Casey Hayward and uh, Jason Barrett, and Barrett's back now, and, and the, the, they got a pretty good uh, rush defense as well. So I'm, I'm interested to see how Trevor Simeon, uh, Demaryius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders are able to move the ball. Uh, C.J. Anderson and what is a uh, Jamal Charles's role? Does he take over that Danny Woodhead role on Mike McCoy's offense? Uh, you know, I think that's why they signed him. So let's see if he's going to get the ten to twelve carries. Now he might be the next uh, next Danny Woodhead.
0: Did your guy have a pick for tonight?
1: Uh, I don't know. What about you? You got a pick?
0: Uh, yeah, I like. I teased at, at the start of the podcast. I said that there's one underdog that I like to win outright, and that's the Chargers. I think this is a good matchup for them against Denver. You mentioned the the defensive prowess for the Chargers. I think that that offensive line for the Broncos is going to going to have issues. You got Joey Bosa. You had two stud corners who you just mentioned uh, with Jason Verrett, and um, now the other cornerback is escaped my escape my mind. Now, uh, anyways, whichever you know going up against Trevor Simeon, that's that's a nice matchup for them. And the the Chargers seem to always play. The Denver Broncos pretty tough, so I think that's one game where, um, if you're looking for an underdog to win outright, I kind of like the Chargers tonight. And uh, my my guy went to his, to his website rp-excel.com
1: uh, has a history of of, of good uh, performances in terms of uh, betting accuracy or wagering accuracy. He actually takes Denver minus three and a half. So
0: <laughs> right again, right yeah.
1: off the gates we disagree. And Casey the, uh, Hayward, by the way, was yeah, the other Casey Hayward, I was going to mention that as well. Yep.
0: All right, well, that that will do it for the Monday edition of 444.com's The Most Accurate Podcast. We'll be back on Friday with some of John's sneaky starts. Um, good luck if you're looking at some, you know, needing some points tonight in either game. And uh, we'll be back on Friday. And uh, for John Paulson, at 444 underscore John, if you want to follow him on Twitter, at Anthony Stalter if you want to follow me. And we'll see you again on Friday. Thanks for listening.